Alrighty, we got ourselves another episode of the Steve Laidlaw podcast, and I'm pleased to be joined by managing editor of DauberHockey.com, multiple Steve Laidlaw podcast guest, and uh, my former compatriot. It's uh, Ian Gooding. Ian, how are you doing? Uh, doing well. How are you? I am fantastic. I, a brief non-hockey interlude. I, I was able to go to this socially distant concert that uh, one of my friends and his wife threw on at this tourist camp out on this lake with like beach and docks and 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 the weather was like perfect fall weather and it was just the most un 2020 experience that I've had thus far and I'm just I'm absolutely glowing and riding high off of that experience. Oh good so how do those work then do you have to sit sort of far apart from each other like a meter or two meters apart from everybody else concert and are you kind of in your cars or kind of in lawn chairs or how does that work? Yeah so uh, the folks who were at the beach or whatever like they had a parking lot and whatever you park and then you meet someone at the gate and you, sh- you like you flash your ticket on your phone and they they looked at it and then um everyone's in masks until you find your seating bubble or whatever. And they had all these sections flagged off with six feet, six feet separating each other. And then if you were within your bubble of six feet or whatever, then you could take your mask off and hang out with the people who were quote unquote inside your bubble. And then a bunch of people showed up uh, to the beach in their boats. So they were able to just hang out in their boats. There wasn't much room for people to be in their cars and stuff like that. Um, I imagine a different venue, they would have been able to pull off something like that more logistically, but, uh, yeah, it was just like sections of beach and sections of dock and then the people out on the water. And I don't know how they figured out the acoustics of it all. I imagine there was a lot of experimentation, but the, the acoustics were fantastic and it was a great, uh, yeah, it's just a phenomenal show. So um, if that's available to you in your area, support that talent and, and get out. Like it was, like I said, I'm, I'm absolutely buzzing from having gotten to go do something live. Like we've all been enjoying the heck out of these bubble playoffs and everything being on TV, but you're kind of, you're just hanging out by yourself or with your family or within your, your small group of, uh, of people that you trust to be able to hang out with, to watch these games and, and being able to get out and, and do something a little bit more, I guess, exotic for, for 2020, for lack of a better word, um, was great. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've been watching these playoffs, you know, mainly by myself. I mean, some some nights I'm writing for Dauber, so it's usually how a uh, the best way for me to do it anyway. And I'm just texting various, you know, friends and family about the about the games that are going on anyway. So that's sort of my social activity. I don't go to too many concerts anymore, but and I haven't heard of anything really nearby that has uh, that has happened with it. I know there was something was sort of planned earlier this summer which was similar what you had except maybe not with the with the water and that was uh, sort of quickly shut down so but yeah I, you know these people need to work too I think there's if there's a way to support them and to do it safely then you know then, then I think there's you know then, then I think it's something that could work for everybody yeah absolutely and it just it got me thinking that well I've been thinking about this a lot about how the 2021 NHL season. I don't know if they're going to be able to get fans in the stands or anything like that, but I I just continue to think that 
the solution might just be do outdoor games because like what we know the research on uv light and and the spread of the the virus outdoors during at least daylight hours like i think they could get away with uh, a lot more seating if they went with outdoor venues and i think there's going to be a lot of outdoor venues that would be available even if you're just doing smaller i don't know soccer pitches and stuff like that where uh, you're able to to cordon off sections of the stands like i think there's there'd be a lot of facilities like that that would uh I don't know, make, make it feasible because I don't know how you get fans into an arena without a vaccine having been prevalent for long enough that enough people can access it and know that it's safe. Yeah, there hasn't been a whole lot of discussion about the, um, about the outdoor games, surprising, surprisingly, with, uh, um, with that opportunity there. I know it sounds like the NHL does not want an entire season without any fans in the stands or at least not within the bubble again it sounds like the players don't want another bubble type of situation at least not have that happen all season but at the same time we are not in a position where we can get back to having 100 percent fans so maybe teams start to kind of start to look at having sort of a you know maybe you know what you might see at a typical Florida Panthers game and uh, 3,000 fans in the stands <laughs> where they're all kind of sitting far apart so um, you know it's it's, it's going to be tough I mean there's uh, I, I really don't know how next season is going to look I think you know we've been immersed in these playoffs where there hasn't been much discussion about when next season will start or what it's going to look like or are they going to use what are the travel what's travel going to be like um, are you going to have, you know, t- are you going to play a full season? There's so many questions that um, have yet to be answered on what the 2020-21 season is going to look like. Yeah, and ultimately, they just don't know. But they're they're going to try, and we'll we'll see what comes of that. Um, you mentioned these playoffs. Eh, what a fantastic ride for the Vancouver Canucks. That's why I brought you on here to run down, do the postmortem for the Vancouver Canucks 2020 playoff run, what's coming next for them. And we're kind of looking at the biggest questions that they face heading into next season, whatever, whenever that happens to come about. And for me, I think the biggest question is what do they do now that the honeymoon is over. I I view these playoffs very much as the honeymoon for them, right? They've got these young stars. They weren't realistically expected to compete. So being able to win a couple of rounds, get to the second round, push what looks like an absolute juggernaut Stanley Cup contender to the seventh game, you utilize the amazing young talent and, and offensive talent that they have on the roster and absolutely maximize that with fantastic goaltending. Demko went almost full-on Yarrow Halak for three games, and that almost gets them to an even longer and crazier playoff run. But realistically, being able to do that again and again and again against cup contenders, I don't think it was there. So now there's expectations, right? So how do they deal with that, Ian? Yeah, I think that's one of my three biggest questions is, are they going to be able to take that next step um, next next season? I mean, we've seen teams 
where obviously this this type of experience could sort of they can only build on that and only get better the only problem is is that's easier said than done um we've seen you know the edmonton oilers for instance few years ago when they got to the second round, I believe they pushed Anaheim to seven games. Um, and then we haven't really heard from them since. They would have made the playoffs had the season been completed, but um, they haven't done anything to really, they haven't been able to match that since, even not with Connor McDavid or Leon Dreisaitl. Further back to that, you have the Calgary Flames, who back in 2015 looked like an up-and-coming team with Goudreau and Monaghan and 18-year-old Sam Bennett, and they you know, were able to beat was it a Canucks team that was fading in the in the first round, and it looked like might be on to bigger and better things. And since then, they haven't been able to make it out of the first round uh, with mainly that same core group and now now the questions are surrounding whether they're going to trade Johnny Goudreau so there's no guarantee uh, I have to say as much as there is um, a lot of promise and hope and people are saying well you know this 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 was a really good playoff run for the Canucks and it, it was it was absolutely um, it was more than I had expected definitely but um, you can't guarantee that this is that's going to lead to better and better things, even if they do, even if they have a great off season, if they, even if, uh, you know, they, they seem to win a trade or two, even if the regular season next season goes extremely well for them, the playoffs are a different animal. And oftentimes it's very unpredictable. It's very hard to pick teams in the playoffs. Uh, things like injuries, hot goalies, bad bounces, all those things can just, and, it could be a very good team could end up with a very early exit. So there's no, there, there's no guarantees with this, but um, you know, but certainly if you compare the, the perception of the team now versus say a year ago, it's, uh, um, it's, 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 it's much more, it's much brighter. Yeah. That Edmonton example was the exact example I was thinking of because you've got all that young talent on their entry level deals and they've got all this firepower and you ride the hot goalie and you make a run to the second round and you nearly got over the hump against a veteran club and you don't quite get there. And so you think, oh, we've got all this young talent. This is the start of something. And the Oilers have missed the playoffs, technically speaking, three straight years since. And they're definitely still not a true contender. They're still trying to get that window cracked open for them. And I think that this Canucks team has been very much a – they're, they're trying to accelerate things and jump the line. We saw it this past summer with the JT Miller trade, which turned out fantastic, so much better than I would have suspected. It was the impetus for the bet that I've been talking about where I, I, I bet my colleague at work that the Canucks weren't going to make this year's playoffs, and then they did. And so now I'm rocking Johnny Canuck on my the bumper of my car as a result of, <laughs> of having lost that bet. But they also went all in on the Tyler Myers signing. So they're one for two, but ultimately one of those is bogging down the cap. And you think about what they could do with six extra million in cap space this summer. They, they could have done way more with that money, right? Like Myers is very much not the answer that you're looking for like you look at the roster building lessons that I've learned from these playoffs you need those two number one number two type defensemen 
building their own line or their own pairing that you can roll out there for 50 plus minutes a night. And they've got one in Quinn Hughes. I'm sure they were hoping that Myers was the other guy. Maybe Edler kind of is, but it sure seems like he's in the twilight, right? He's only got one year left uh, on his current contract and he, he wasn't as good as he was last year. And so I think that there's going to be diminishing returns with that. And Myers, you, you sign him to be this leading man. And as it turns out, maybe he's just like, he's Chris Pine. He looks the part, but then you, you build this movie around him and it's, you know, you, if you fill out the the surrounding cast and it's, you're going to sell out because it's Star Trek, but it's not necessarily going to be a good movie because your leading man just isn't quite up to that snuff. Yeah. If the one weakness I think of the Canucks is the defense. If you, uh, um, I mean, you have Quinn Hughes, obviously he's that number one defenseman that and have brought the skill set really the Canucks have never had. Um, I mean, at least, you know, far, far back as I can think the, you know, maybe comparable might be somebody like a, a Paul Reinhardt or a Jeff Brown. And I'm, you know, I'm really probably dating myself to some listeners there by saying that. Um, make a good point about Myers. Um, I mean, I think Myers is, you can make the argument that he is a top four defenseman. Um, the problem is, is that they overpaid for him. Um, maybe because they needed, they needed help on defense and he seemed like the fit. He was the, um, he was the right D man that they needed. Um, he wanted to come to Vancouver. I think he lives in Kelowna in the off season. So him and the rest of the NHL. <laughs> yeah, half the NHL that lives in Kelowna, exactly. Uh, also have summer homes there, but yeah. So it, it's and there's a potential that the defense could get even could even take a step further back this offseason because Chris Tanev is a UFA. Um, you know, he logs a lot of minutes for them, uh, blocks a lot of shots. Absolute warrior out there. Um, Stetcher, um, you know, is kind of more of a top four defenseman in a pinch, um, but more of a, more of a bottom pairing guy. And what you can see is what you get with him, I think, or what we've seen. Uh, he's also an RA and there's no guarantees that uh, they're, they're going to bring him back. So this, you know, so now you're kind of looking at guys like you're kind of hoping that guys like Brogan Rafferty can take a step forward. Um, Ole Levy, who's been waiting to play his first uh, regular season NHL game for quite some time because of injuries. Um, maybe, you know, hoping a guy like Jack Rathbone can maybe break through, maybe make the, make the team this year. Um, I don't know. That might be, it might be more 50 50 on that. Um, but we'll have to see what it's 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 possible that the defense could get worse before it gets better you hit on one of my other big questions which was how do they upgrade the blue line um with with tanf he's 30 now and he's logged all those hard miles do you really want to commit any amount of money or term to that guy as much as he's been an absolute warrior for them you mentioned all the all the great things that he does for them but that has all like it's ultimately it's going to erode what he can do going forward. So how, how much tread does he have left on the tires and how much can you commit to that? 
you can't assume that he's going to have a lot of tread on the tires. Um, this season, he was fortunately able to stay healthy, but in previous seasons, he wasn't able to. He missed a significant chunk of games with injuries, and that's because of the style that he plays. He, he blocks a lot of shots. He logs a lot of minutes. So this kind of, you know, if they sign him, I mean, as much as the Canucks have their caps, their cap issues right now, term might be more dangerous than the actual dollar amount that they that they commit to him particularly if those those injuries really start to catch up to him as in he's not able to ever play a full season again um you know it's number of years i know for the past few years maybe before this season um uh, there were calls to trade tanev while his while he still had some value um but that never happened they sort of hung on to him and uh you know kept kept him around maybe as a you know veteran influence for some of the young players that was probably their uh, management's thinking in, in keeping him and uh you know th- this season uh he was actually able to, to pay off for them and i think it was a good you know it you know he was able to provide them with um a lot of what they they needed on on the defense so uh, it's really hard to say what they're, they're do with him i would say they probably won't be able to re-sign him, but um, but that depends on a lot of other pieces. And perhaps is he willing to take a hometown discount, and um, and and maybe the the amount of a, his contract sort of uh, is determined by his injury history. You mentioned the hometown discount. In my experience, it. it- it seems like the hometown discount is this myth that just it completely doesn't exist. It's almost the other way. The player has put so much into an organization, he expects to get that back from them. And then when he's on the free market and he goes out there and sees no one's willing to pay for that, he would rather go somewhere else and take that discount than to take it from the team that he poured so much into because he feels disrespected or slighted as a result of that. Now, every player is going to be different, but I feel like the notion of the hometown discount is something from days days gone by. I don't, I don't think it exists anymore. Yeah, I think you could bring up a good point. I think I've seen that in other sports, not just hockey, but also in other sports where the player could, yeah, they, they kind of search around, they look look for you know, don't get that contract. And then you say, well, why, why don't they just resign there? Why don't they? And then, but then it doesn't happen. Eventually some team, maybe, maybe it's just a matter of them wanting to, to go somewhere else. So uh, I guess when you say hometown discount, it might also be loyalty to the team, understanding that there's a, there's a fit there. If, if say Tanev were to sign with a, a team with a deep, deeper defense, maybe he's not uh, the guy there. Maybe he, maybe he doesn't fit into their system as much. Um, so, I mean, it could, it could be that too. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, as, as a Canucks fan, I'm you know, sort of holding out hope that, uh, that, that they might be able to resign him at the right price, but um, we've got to be realistic here. Yeah. They're sitting on 18 million and they've got to resign Markstrom. That's a big deal. And then they've got to fill seven other roster spots most of those are are towards the lower end, but they do have to not just be the same on defense, but they have to upgrade it if they fancy themselves contenders. Because like I said, they don't have that second guy to drive another line. And I, I do believe that Tanev is a piece who could help them. And your point is well taken about term. 
they've got in a couple of years, they've got 40 million in cap space, but you can give half of that to Hughes and Pedersen almost immediately because that's roughly the ballpark that they're going to be asking for. And they're probably worth it. You mentioned some of the prospects that could be making their way up. And it's funny. It seems like you has been around for forever, but he's, he's still, he's only 22. So um, he could be right on track and right on time for them. But I don't think you want to rely on breaking too many rookie defensemen in at a time. I think you can break one in at a time. And that's kind of the, the upper limit of, uh, of what you can pull off. And so basically you got to be breaking one in a year and then the rest of those spots better be dedicated to veterans. And that's where I think it, it would be valuable to have Tanev come along. But um I'm wondering, do you think there are any external solutions for the Canucks or do they just not have enough money to go out and hit the free agent market or the trade market to fill those holes? Well, I think they could look at a, I think that was kind of the idea behind them signing Jordy Ben last year is to, you know, to get sort of a so expensive free agent, you know, veteran to bring him in. Um, he's at a $2 million cap hit and he's there for another year. I don't think he's really, I, I don't know if he's been a great fit for the as sort of a bottom pairing defenseman at best, but that's maybe what they should have expected. Um, I can't think of any particular names out there, but might sort of suit that, but um, you could sort of take, to look at sort of sort of the lower end some of the lower end free agents on that um but they're not going to make a splash in terms of picking up a defenseman like that in free agency they simply don't have the cap space to do that they're just simply going to want to try to retain um if they can um one or perhaps two of jacob markstrom chris tanev or tyler Toffoli. so um as much as they would need as, as much as bringing in their you know free agent defenseman might it would really help them it just isn't going to be realistic for them right now so you're going to have to look for either somebody less expensive or you know, hope one of the younger players like a, like a Yolevi or a Rathbone can, can make the team and, and make some sort of impact. So that point being taken, can I speedball you a few uh, intriguing options? Were they to reserve cap space to upgrade the defense instead of maybe bringing Markstrom back? Sure, go ahead. Okay, so everyone's looking at Tampa Bay and their cap crunch. But I, I wonder if uh, Mikhail Sergachev isn't out of Vancouver's price range. But there's also the Islanders, the other team in the Eastern Conference Finals, uh, ironically enough, is also facing this massive cap crunch. And they've got RFAs out the wazoo, including uh, Matt Barzal, who could take up all their cap space alone with his deal. And then they've also got Devon Taves and Ryan Pulak. And we talked about how you need those two driving defensemen on your blue line. And those are the two guys for the Islanders and they're both available. And wouldn't it just be juicy to steal one of those guys uh, with an offer sheet? Now, of course you have to get that player to want to sign there. That's why I think Tyler Myers was such an attractive option. As you alluded to, he actually wanted to sign and that's, that's the most difficult part of getting free agents to come on board but it, this opportunity is also why 
not making that Myers plunge would have been so juicy. They have the draft picks to go all in on one of those top-notch type defensemen. So I wonder if they couldn't steal away one of those guys with the money that they might have to pay to sign Tanev, and instead it goes towards one of those guys. Yeah, Taves is a particularly interesting one to me because he's um, he is a, he is a BC boy from Abbotsford. Um, I mean, there's there's that connection for what it's worth. Um, he has some power play experience, so he could uh, could play on there. Um, I don't know that the Islanders will, even though Barzal would take a significant chunk of their calf space. I don't know if they'd want to walk away from from Pulak. Just, I think he's too important a defenseman in their blue line. I mean, it is a team that has a, an abundance of riches on defense. So I think they're going to take. Uh, I think they're going to be looking in the off season on maybe trying to upgrade their scoring a little bit, even though they're scoring a fair bit in the playoffs. I think you look at the Islanders roster and think uh, maybe they need another you know, game breaker or two up and that could, you know, then, you know, that then that could be a really strong team. Um, Taze, Taze is interesting. He's had some power play time, um, has, has a bit of offensive upside. Um, I can't say I've watched too many Islander games, so I, I can't say I know the, the book on him, but I th- think um, he'll be a less expensive option, I think, than, uh, than Pulak. Uh, whether he's worth, I, I know they're sliding scales in terms, of, uh, in terms of offer sheets and what they would have to give up, but, um, but that might be, he might be an interesting one um, that the Canucks could target. I, I don't know if they would go the offer sheet route. I think teams are kind of, tend to kind of shy away from those as we've seen, but um, it might be somebody that they make some calls on uh, to, uh, um, to look to bring in on maybe perhaps a trade. Yeah. I talked about this on my Boston Bruins uh, post-mortem with Mark Allred and like GMs, they really just, they're loath to go the offer sheet route, but the Islanders are looking at, they've got like 7 million in cap space this summer and somehow they have to bring back Pulak, Barzal and Taves. And it's just like, Oh yeah, these guys are ready to be exploited. But I just wonder if teams wouldn't rather just make the trade and and negotiate that way. But you're looking at coming up on a 21 or a 2021 draft class where maybe the Q is the only North American league that actually plays games this year. And so you might have all these, like, it might be the most erratic draft year since Nail Yakupov went number one overall. And you might have to go back to one of those horrible late 90s, early 2000s drafts that, uh, that we did the, the redraft series on to, to see how erratic a draft can be when you just lack information. And it, it already sounds like it's not even the best draft class in terms of overall talent there isn't a front runner for that number one and and generally speaking that's how these drafts are graded so if ever there was a year that you were going to go all in on an offer sheet and lose a bunch of picks like I think that's the year is you could end up with this draft where the best players are going in the fourth fifth sixth round just because no one knows anything because no one got to watch these players this year Mm mm-hmm yeah, it's it's going to be different anyway. Uh, if we don't see any hockey, then yeah, how we're just going to have to go with what 
what the preseason evaluations were and that's it's it's going to be very much a roll of the dice so so yeah teams teams might look at upgrading uh in in, in other ways and place less emphasis on the draft it's going to be uh, very interesting yeah i also wonder for the canucks i'd be bugging the crap out of nashville for matthias Eckholm and Minnesota for Jonas Brodeen. I don't think either of those teams are quite ready to give those guys up, but I think Brodeen's a year away from uh, unrestricted free agency and Ekholm's too. And I just think that if you're looking for that second line driving, more defensively slanted type defenseman, those are guys that I would absolutely be kicking down the door to try to steal away. They're on value enough contracts that they could probably fit them in mm-hmm. at home is providing great value at uh, at his cap hit under four million so i think there's there's an opportunity there um even like a team like nashville could be you know from from where they are in terms of cap space might be a team that is impacted by covid so it could it's it's possible that they could be looking to shed salary. I don't have any information on that or anything like that. I'm just, you know, I'm just throwing a hypothetical out there. But, uh, um, but yeah, it might be. I'm sure a lot of teams are looking at Eckholm and, and and want to target him. And you know, but uh, I mean, one of Nashville's strengths is their defense. I would, if I'm Nashville, I I would try everything to hold on to him, though. Absolutely. I just think that you're they're going to be nearing a point when they either have to put up or shut up with him because he's going to be a 32 year old unrestricted free agent and you either lose him for nothing or you lose him for less when you figure out that you're not a contender and you have to sell him when he's only got a couple months left on his deal. And so the time to trade him would be in this next year, whether it's this off season or at the upcoming trade deadline. And I would, I do think that Poyle is at this spot where he's so desperate to win a cup and take advantage of what's remains of this championship window uh, that he wouldn't trade him this off season. But I'd also like, I'd absolutely be, be just kicking down his door, trying to get him out of there. And if all you do is start the conversation now and you can hang in there long enough to be able to make that deal at the trade deadline when it, if and when Nashville finds themselves on the outside looking in, then maybe that's something that you're able to generate. So not tying up a ton of cap space on defense and just hoping that you can hang in there enough would, uh, would keep that possibility open. But Ian, we've, uh, we've touched on a couple of my biggest questions already, and I'm wondering if you can fire off one of your biggest questions. Sure. Uh, let's go into um, it's good. my first one on the list is sort of the immediate one, which is the free agency question for the Canucks. I know we touched on um, we've talked about Tanev. Um, we've touched on Markstrom a bit. Uh, we haven't gone into Tyler Toffoli, but the Canucks have um, they have some decisions to make this offseason. They're not going to be able to keep everyone. Um, from this roster, they just simply are not going to have the room to um, be able to do that. So um, as far as the Canucks, um, what with some dis- players that they have to make some decisions on, they have UFAs of Markstrom, Toffoli, Tanev, and Josh Levo, who we haven't heard from since the regular season because of injury. Um, they also have RFAs of uh, Jake Tannen, Troy Stetcher, 
Tyler Mott and Zach McEwen. So this is, uh, they're going to make some decisions, have to make some decisions. Uh, one thing I'll bring up is that don't automatically assume that all the RFAs are going to get signed either. A lot of times the RFAs just kind of roll over. Um, but, you know, in order to maybe sign two out of three of Markstrom, Tanev, or Toffoli, um, that might mean parting with someone like Jake Vertanen, who was a healthy scratch at the start of the playoffs. Um, it could mean that they decide to move on with um, from somebody like Troy Stetcher. So that's sort of the immediate question among Canucks fans. You can sort of blame Jim Benning's um, handling of, of the cap or sort of miss this handling of it, um, having these long large contracts like Louis Erickson, uh, Brandon Sutter, um, Tyler Myers is another one that's been brought up, although I don't see them parting with with Myers um, anytime soon. Um, even ones like uh, Jay Beagle for three million, you have Michael Michael Furlow for three and a half million with um, with major concussion issues. And then they have Sven Berchi at just over 2 million, who's buried. Um, Ryan Spooner, who they've uh, who they bought out, who they've got for another year at just over a million. And then you've got that dreaded cap recapture penalty with Roberto Luongo for another two seasons at 3 million. So um, there are some, you know, if you're kind of wondering why the Canucks haven't re-signed these players, um, you've got these these cap issues that have, have sort of prevented that. So they're going to have to make some major decisions. I don't know which way they're going to go with this. Um, my gut tells me they're going to try to lean towards re-signing Markstrom. Um, somebody like Toffoli is kind of 50-50 right now, um, even though they spent – you know, they, they parted with a pretty good prospect in Tyler Madden. So I don't think they want to see Toffoli walk away for nothing because there's already that sunk cost of Tyler Madden and that uh, in their draft pick that they parted with as well. And uh, but I think the Tanev probably because of the age and injury history and wear and tear probably um, will have to move on from. You mentioned they've got so much fat clogging up their books and not all of it is self-inflicted like the Luongo cap recapture tax is just the the fact that the NHL they they smoothed out some of that recapture stuff but at the same time like it's absolutely ridiculous that they actually went through with finding them for that they dealt New Jersey a they they stripped them of a first rounder for the Kovalchuk long-term deal and then they ended up giving them one back. And it's just, they're so wishy-washy on this stuff. And it, it was self-inflicted. They created the loopholes and the teams took advantage of those loopholes. And I don't, I don't understand how they can come back in with this recapture nonsense. So if there's an inferiority complex among Canucks fans, and I know that there is, that has got to be top of mind with this because they, they've got like 15 million basically wasted and some of it's self-inflicted and some of it's not. And at least 20% of it is, is definitely not in that recapture. So that, that's just got to be frustrating because that's two, three extra players who could be filling out their roster. They probably aren't picking the right players to do so. But now they're at a point where they'd like to be adding and progressing forward. And they, 
maybe they can't because they've they've got all these UFAs to consider signing. Markstrom was the big question for me. Um, what kind of contract would you give him to bring him back? Yeah, the goalie was actually goalie question was actually my other other question on what to do with the goalies. Um, in terms of numbers, I would say ideally the Canucks might would want to try to sign Markstrom for under six million. Um, probably not more than about three years, um, but I think it might take more than that. Um, it sounds like he wants at least six million. So we're kind of at a, a, bit, a bit of a standstill. Now the goalie market isn't going to be that it's, we're talking about a lot of supply here, which is going to bring the goalie market down. Um, there's a lot of options for teams. If the Canucks end up and Markstrom end up um, walking away from each other and, and Markstrom signs elsewhere, um, then there are a ton of options um, in goal they have. I mean, there is, is Thatcher Demko, um, of course. I don't know if they, they would give him, they wouldn't be giving him the same workload as they, as they gave Markstrom last year. So they'd have to shop around for sort of a 1B type of option, maybe sort of a, um, you know, Thomas Grice is an example here, uh, or, a, or a Cam Talbot. But, um, you know, so it's, but there's going to be a lot of those goal type of goalies available um, should the Canucks not be able to sign Mark Term. Ideally, they would. I mean, he's, he's had an amazing season. He stole games for the Canucks. Um, if you look at the metrics in terms of, um, in terms of goal saved above average, it's, um, it's incredibly high what um, the kind of year he was Markstrom. You could even make the argument he should have been a Vezina finalist. So um, the problem is, though, is that he's now 30 years old. Um, if, they, if they sign him to a, the lucrative contract, are we talking about diminishing returns? Are we talking about an, yet another contract that is not going to age well for the Canucks? So that's kind of the dilemma that, that they're facing is, um, is that what, what do you do with that? And... If they re-sign Markstrom, what do they do with Thatcher Demko? Because you have this Seattle expansion draft coming up next summer. Um, you're going to have to leave one of those two goalies unprotected. Um, which one Which one is it going to be? If if they leave Demko un, unprotected, um, then, then surely he's going to be an appealing goalie for Seattle, um, not just as, as a goalie that they could build around, but also that they could poach him from a, um, you know, from a division rival. And this is what makes the negotiation with Markstrom so interesting because certainly they could go for one of those moderate type options. This, this It, it kind of reminds me of what went down with the Islanders last summer where for whatever reason they weren't willing to give Robin Lehner basically the contract that they gave Semyon Varlamov, but they were willing to give Varlamov that contract. Um, it's just super interesting and who knows what exactly was taking place with those negotiations. Did the Islanders actually think that they upgraded? And certainly it's hard to argue with the run that they've gone on here. Although both goaltenders do now find themselves in the conference finals. So for whatever that's worth, but with the Canucks, they're looking at this situation where you know you have to have two goalies if we learn nothing else from these playoffs it's having two goalies is a supreme advantage and if they fancy themselves contenders for next year they got to have someone back and would could they make the bet that 
if they sign Markstrom to a long-term deal, that Seattle would take Markstrom in the expansion draft were they to protect Demco and that that would clean up their books or that they could incentivize Seattle to take Markstrom off their books. And so really they could sign him to this long-term extension, but it, it's really just a one-year deal. Yeah, I haven't really heard that idea discussed that much, although I have thought about it, is what if they sign Markstrom to that lucrative contract? Um, he has been dealing with injuries at this postseason and um, just not long before the regular season ended. So what if those injuries carry over to next season? Um, what if it affects his play? What if it, you're one of the a Markstrom contract that the contract doesn't age well? Then do you and, and Demko play continues to play well, maybe not out of this world like we saw in the in, in the last three games of the Vegas series, but at least well enough you could say, um, hey, Satcher Demko looks like um, he'll be a number one goalie in this league. So, so yeah, then then maybe you look at saying, okay, we're going to protect Demko. Uh, we'll leave Markstrom unprotected. Uh, maybe Seattle takes him. Maybe they don't. But we feel that we get better value long term with with Demko. So that. That, that could be an option for the Canucks. Um, conversely, maybe uh, you know, maybe Demko stinks next year. Um, maybe he doesn't. Maybe he doesn't play well. Maybe this was you know. The, I mean, the three-game sample size. It's it's hard to commit to you know as much as outstanding as Demko played. That is a very small sample size. Those three games. So you know, if we could, if they walk away from Markstrom and think, okay, Demko's our long-term solution, and then Demko doesn't pan out, then what? You know, then. You know, I, I suppose you could look at somebody like Mike DiPietro and hope that he uh, develops into an NHL goalie. I mean, they have him in the system, but he's um, he's at least another year, maybe two years away from um, becoming an NHLer. He's not at this moment. He's he's not ready. If anybody's thinking, well, they've got Mike DiPietro, they could just they they could just plug him in as their backup. I don't think it's going to um, be quite that easy. So goalies goalies need time they need uh it's clear that they need time in the ahl to develop um before they before they can move on to the nhl they, they need to play they can't they can't be sitting on the bench as as backups it's gonna be an interesting um dilemma um i know on canucks twitter there's been arguments on on both sides as to what what they should do so um i think a lot depends on how much it's going to cost the canucks for markstrom uh what sort of their walk away point is um as to whether they keep him and then based on whether or not markstrom stays then they'll go from there and and then sort of make next summer's expansion draft decision then i can't remember exactly what the penguins ended up giving to vegas to ensure that they took the flurry number off of their books but it wasn't a first rounder and i think that being able to like consider the idea that maybe all it would cost you to incentivize them to take what's been a very good goaltender for the past couple of years in markstrom would maybe only cost a second or a third to get him off your books uh is is a really intriguing gamble that uh, that I wonder about. And so for me, the key with his negotiation is going to be not just term, but also are there any no move clauses involved? They have to do everything they can to avoid giving up that no move clause. And I think that my walk away number 
wouldn't be so much about the salary. I'd be willing to go above six million if you're keeping the term down to say two or three years and that way you can have a little bit more control over the situation. Yeah, I agree. And that's a good point you bring up about the no move clause because that's another uh, sort of bargaining chip for, for the Markstrom team is that they, you know, if they get that no movement clause, then if they manage to get that maybe as a way of, uh, you know, in lieu of term or in terms of money, then it's going to make, then they're really going to have their, have a difficult time making a decision. Then, then it's going to shift towards, okay, now what do we do with Thatcher Demko here? You know, maybe, maybe at that point they think, well, maybe we've got to try to trade him while, while his value is high. Um, I was kind of thinking maybe before, before the the playoffs that maybe they use him as a sweetener uh, to try and clear some cap space. You know, maybe they take, you know, a team take on a Louis Erickson or a um, maybe to clear some, you know, and add somebody in like that as a, as a sweetener. I still think that that player that they, that they use for that should be Jake Vertanen, but um, where they could, they could get a team to take on, you know, that has, you know, like a, a team like an Ottawa or, um, I think at Detroit, there's somebody like that that would be willing to take on a contract and then get somebody in return just to, you know, just, just so the Canucks have more flexibility and they can sign and they can more easily sign, you know, Markstrom, Tanev and or Toffoli. Yeah, I don't think you're getting anyone to bite on Erickson's deal that way just because he's got a couple of years left and that's a lot of dollars and you referenced it with Nashville and these COVID times, money's not coming in. So it, it's going to be tough, but I think that maybe with Berchi's deal only having a year left on it, you could clear a couple of million going that route. And if you also happen to get a guy like Bertanen who they might have to give a bigger number than they want to in arbitration. If you also get him out going that route, then maybe that's a way similar to what happened with the Winnipeg Jets clearing Steve Mason's one year expiring deal. And they gave up a, a guy like Yoel Armia in the deal that's that's very reminiscent of that idea. So it's, I, it, to me, it certainly sounds like a possibility, but I don't think you're getting out of Erickson's contract uh, for that cheap. It's not going to be easy, though, but I mean, you never know. I'm, it's more teams that have to reach the cap floor. But then again, what is the is, is the cap floor going to be eased next season because of COVID? So we'll have to see. There's a lot of, uh, uh, there's a lot of unknowns here right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I just think that there's too, there's too many years on Erickson. I think that in a year's time, you would have more luck getting someone to bite on that. They're, they're willing to make that type of move for one year, but I don't think they're willing to bog themselves down for multiple years without getting some obscene uh, attached price. Um, so we touched on a couple of your big questions. Going into these playoffs, Brock Besser was on the trade block. So one of my biggest questions was, is he still on the trade block? Um, I don't know. It's, I think a lot of the rumors about Besser being on the trade block had to do with, um, I think what was kind of driving that was the fact that the Canucks had acquired Tyler Toffoli and when, when Toffoli joined the Canucks, um, Besser was hurt. Um, I think they kind of used, used that Toffoli acquisition as saying, okay, we don't have Besser. We need to get somebody 
who can fill that role in and Toffoli was on the market and right away he was a you know perfect fit on the top line um so if both are in the lineup then I think both are kind of cannibalizing each other's val fantasy value if you're looking at it that way um particularly if um whichever player is not on the top line now Besser in the in the playoffs was being used on the second power play unit when when Toffoli was healthy he Toffoli does miss miss a bit of time because of injury but um so I, I think maybe management might be looking at this and saying, okay, well, we've got a guy like Toffoli. If we can re-sign him, then, you know, then do we need Besser? Um, not to say that they don't need Besser, but he obviously would be, you know, probably should try to try to keep a player like that. But at the same time, could we use, you know, one, one hypothetical that's been, you know, that, that that's been thrown around in Vancouver for maybe not, not in Vancouver, but maybe other places is maybe trading him back to his home state of Minnesota to the wild for somebody like Matt Dumba um, who could come in and uh, improve the defense. So, so I think in any Besser trade, um, when I say that Brock Besser is on the market, well, I mean, theoretically any player could be traded, but um, if they're going to trade Besser, I don't, I, I don't want them to have to be in a position where they, they would have to trade Besser because of, um, because of all the dead money on their, uh, on their cap. But if they did, then they need to, they, they need to acquire a, uh, a top four, maybe a top two defenseman in return for that. Uh, that, that, that's going to be important. Um, and it could turn out to be a good trade for the, for the Canucks if, uh, if they do. All I could think about when those rumors were swirling was Taylor Hall for Adam Larson. And even after we talked about the 2017 playoff run of the Edmonton Oilers and Jordan Everly doesn't score a goal. He's completely snake bitten. And then they trade him for Ryan Strom and slowly Peter Chiarelli turns him into Ryan Spooner, who we, we referenced on this podcast uh, <laughs> as, as well. So the, like the, the reverse paperclip, trades and that that idea just terrifies me but there are examples of teams winning this sort of deal right Tampa Bay was able to clear out some space and uh, really revamp their team with the Druan for Sergachev trade the Jones for Johansson deal sure seemed like a win-win and so there, there's ways of this stuff working out and we talked about their absolute need to upgrade their blue line that is one avenue but they have to they absolutely cannot get it wrong and I just think that there's so much room for error with that plus if you're subtracting Besser where's the offense coming from because it's not just that this team needs to upgrade their blue line they also need more depth scoring and if you're subtracting a top six player then it's not just depth scoring that you need now you need to solve your wingers right the Oilers try to upgrade their depth by getting rid of guys like Jordan Eberle and now they don't even have top line scoring and so now they're expecting their top line guys to to drag along these players who aren't up to snuff and it ultimately you're just you're you're taking one step forward one step back and you're just kind of shuffling the deck chairs with that type of move so ideally I think that he would be locked in but uh, that's that's kind of why I was I was curious if after a, a stronger playoff run for Besser if he was still on the market. Yeah, I think there, I think there still be those discussions. I don't think there's been, I don't think there's too much. I personally don't think the Canucks will trade Besser, but 
I mean, you never know. It might, in order to stay competitive and to um, try to work around their cap situation, they may, you know, may, maybe they take more extreme measures. And you know, Besser seems like the the perfect guy to do it. I mean, the, the Canucks aren't going to. You know, there's players that the Canucks won't trade, which are Pedersen. They're not going to trade. Bo Horvat. They're not going to trade because it's their captain. Um, Quinn Hughes. They're not going to trade. Um, after that, um, I think any player on the roster could be uh, could be moved in one shape or form, way, shape or form. I mean, JT Miller, I don't think um, they got they got a ton of value out of JT Miller. I don't think they would they would trade him either, to be honest. Um, but after that, I think there's you know any player could um, they could look at shopping any any player one one way or another. Hey, just please do not trade Besser to the Buffalo Sabres for Rasmus Ristolainen. <laughs> yeah, he's, I, I, you know, does somebody like Ristolainen might might appeal to Jim Benning, but uh, yeah, I, I I would kind of be like, okay, maybe, you know, I, I mean, I like, I like Ristolainen in, in fantasy, but yeah, I just don't know if he's the, uh, um, if, if that would be the right move. Yeah, what's up with the Sabres and finding these defensemen that look the part but don't actually play the part? Mm, yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, uh, the Sabres have got their own issues. So um, <laughs> They have so many. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Ian, let's wrap this thing up. The Canucks, is their window open or is it closed? Um, it's, you know what, it's, I, I think the perception in sort of the rest of the league is more optimistic about the Canucks than I think people in Vancouver think that it is. Um, supposedly, you know, from a distance, it would appear that the Canucks window is opening because you've got Pedersen at age 21, Hughes at age 20. And they're all, they're only going to get better, and those are your two bright stars that you're going to build everything around. Now, again, I mentioned earlier that there's no guarantees. Um, Would the Canucks get, you know, next season? The Canucks should be a playoff team, but it's possible that with the cap situation and with other circumstances, um, I wouldn't completely rule out that they'd even take a step back. Um, you know, I don't. I don't think they will. I think there's too much promise there, but it's possible. So, what what is a window then? What happens to the window after that? A lot is going to depend on um, decisions that management makes. I mean, you're going to have, you know, once you start to see some of this dead money come off the books, what's going to happen then? Obviously, you're not going to have Hughes and Pedersen at entry level deals anymore. They're going to be taking up a big chunk of your your cap space. So, you know, what's what is it going to be to fill in? I would say it's generally speaking, it's, it's opening, I think. But again, with the Stanley cup playoffs, it's easy to say, well, they'll, they'll be back. They'll, you know, they'll, everything will be good. The Canucks shouldn't be too worried about losing game seven to Vegas, but there's no guarantees here. Um, we've seen teams that show a lot that show this type of promise and then they just never seem to seem to get over the hump. So, I think there's I think there's something special with this team, but again, there's no in in a cap world. A lot of things can change, and uh, we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, I'm with you. There's enough intriguing building blocks here that you could talk yourself into this team continuing to improve 
but then you just wonder where more improvements are coming from. They got MVP type goaltending out of Markstrom this year. So unless you're counting on getting that for the next two, three years, which is goaltending is voodoo, right? Like you can't absolutely cannot count on that. Even if you do think you've got a really nice tandem with Markstrom and Demko, assuming you get Markstrom re-signed, they don't have that. They don't have that other defenseman to pair with Quinn Hughes and they don't have the depth scoring to hang with teams like Vegas that are genuine contenders. So to me, the window is closed. They could crack it open, but I fail to see exactly how they do. And I worry that maybe this ends up being either an Edmonton type situation where they try to ramp things forward and they make more mistakes trying to progress forward, or it ends up being a Winnipeg situation where they didn't push any buttons and they just kind of sat there and waited and waited. And then when the window opened, it opened for basically one season and then it was, and then it slammed shut on them again because all the bills came due at once and all this young talent had to get paid at the same time. So trying to navigate the timing of all these windows is, is so difficult and challenging and it'll be interesting because I do think that what they do with Hughes and Pedersen if they could go the Tampa Bay model and force those guys to take bridge deals which I don't think is going to be even remotely acceptable but if they could do that then they could crack open this massive window and instead I think they're going to end up paying 20 million given those guys seven, eight year deals, and it'll be worth it because you want those superstars around, but it ultimately it might keep the window shut for the foreseeable future. And we might be waiting four or five years before this team can really put everything together and trim all that fat off their books and get enough coming up the pipeline to where you actually think that they're contenders. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned the goaltending being voodoo. I mean, that's a a great point. I think the assumption, one of the assumptions of the Canucks to take the next step is they continue to receive elite level goaltending because quite frankly, if they don't, they're not going to next season anyway, they're not going to be able to take that next step. If their goaltending is uh, seems average, then it's going to be really hard for them to do that. And then, um, and then the, that's when the doubts about the Canucks are going to start to to creep in again. So it's going to be interesting to see what what happens with that goaltending situation. Um, after that, I mean, it's hard to plan, or it's sort of hard to plan, sort of two, three, even two or three years ahead in the NHL to know um, where things are going to go. There's so many things that can happen that can, um, you know, that can either either improve a team situation or really really heard it so again it's you know um i think i think a big issue that a lot of fans here have here is how much can they trust jim benning not so much for drafting and development the players he drafts are you know he's made some great drafting decisions but how is he going to handle things like trades and free agencies here you know he made you know he the Miller trade was a home run. Um, you know, getting Erica Branson out for Tanner Pearson was another uh, a solid move. Um, contract negotiations, free agent decisions. You know, there hasn't, you know, Benning's record on this 
you know, I'd, I'd give him a, I'd give him a C minus at best on that. So do we trust that he's going to be able to make, make the right decisions on that? So, um, you know, is he going to get in the way of, are those types of decisions, you know, paying bottom six forwards too much money, for example, you know, is that going to get in the way of this team ultimately becoming a contender? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot to debate and a lot to wonder about. We're, we're still technically in the honeymoon phase. So, Canucks fans, enjoy what you got because you may not get quite as much next season. Ian, thank you so much for coming on the pod. Do you have anything to plug before we get out of here? Uh, sure, yeah. You can read more of my work, although it's not not usually Canucks focused, although I do like to talk about the Canucks um, a bit on Dauber Hockey, uh, the managing editor over there, as Steve mentioned earlier. Um I read, uh, I write the ramblings on uh, Saturday and Sunday, uh, sometimes on Fridays as well. Uh, we've also got uh, what we've got going on on the site right now, of course, we have daily ramblings. Uh, we just put out our expert panel for our conference final predictions. Uh, we've got loads of our other articles that you would normally see in the regular season. So we're, uh, you know, Dauber Hockey is 365 days a year. He doesn't, he doesn't take a day off, even if, uh, even if we're in the dead of summer or in the, uh, in the middle of a pandemic. So, um, so yeah, um, you can, uh, uh, check us out. There's more, more, lots of great writers over there and, uh, um, not just myself. We just put up our, uh, uh, 21 fantasy hockey rambles. So our top ramblings of the week. Um, so you can go have a look there. Right on. Thank you so much again for coming on Ian. This was fantastic. Yeah. Anytime, Steve.